Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Rachel? It's good. I'm excited. You have a story for me. I do have a story for you. So one of the people that I work with, uh, one of our uh, assistive technology folks, was helping a team with a, a, a parent who is the parent of an iGaze user. The team is... Um, made up of a teacher who's relatively new to teaching in general, but also AAC, has been through some of our trainings, so has some level of awareness and has done a little bit of uh, participating, a little bit of coaching, but with no way expert and, and has never used, you know, eye gaze before with a very uh, robust and sophisticated system. The speech therapist on the team, when I first met her years and years and years ago, she was one of the people that would tell me, yeah, core vocabulary, I get it, I kind of understand it, and over the years has grown to be a huge advocate of, you know, sort of, I would say, at first was sort of on the fence and skeptical, and now is a huge advocate of it, and has come so far in the years, I mean, her journey and my journey have paralleled each other in the learning of AAC. Well, the family recently changed schools. So this speech therapist was new to the family. This um, teacher was new to the family. But the student was at a grade level, elementary uh, age student. But the parent had been using AAC and is and has this robust eye gaze system for multiple years. But what's happening is they bounce from school to school or team to team. Anyway, this team ended, ended up having this student. And my colleague said, Chris, we feel like we need you in this meeting to kind of like help us facilitate the whole experience. This particular mom of this girl was um, every day kind of guessing at what the storybook they were going to be reading or planning out. Here's a storybook and programming vocabulary in the eye gaze system so the student could answer questions based on the story. And that was what they had kind of told me about. And that's what um, I entered into this, this again, virtual learning sort of space where we had this uh, Zoom-like meeting, a video conference meeting. It was Google Meet, you know. And so we had this conversation. Before I start here, what are your, what are your thoughts there when I'm just telling you that story? So let me just reiterate, the parent had been programming vocabulary to help basically answer questions about a story. Exactly. Okay. So, yes, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I should share them now or we should wait till the story's over. Oh, yeah. So everyone on the team sort of recognized that's not great. You know, like we that violates everything we know about motor planning and keeping buttons in the same spot. That's a lot of work on the parent to kind of change the vocabulary. And why? Like what what are, what is the outcome of that? Like to help the student feel successful in the moment, maybe, you know? Um, so there was a lot of unsure, how are we going to help this this family change that practice? Because it also, I think it had become part of like their routine, you know, like, okay, well, here's what I do. At this point of day, I change the storybook and I change the vocabulary. And this way I know that the vocabulary matches and it, it makes me feel like I'm doing what I need to do to help my child, do you know? So when they brought me in and we had this conversation, I started with these reflective questions and 
the mom was amazing for her daughter, not in the context of how much work she was putting in, but in context of what she knew about AAC. You know, so often when I'm meeting a family member or a parent, they know nothing about core vocabulary. They know nothing about modeling. You know, it's brand new. Well, this family, this parent was sort of a veteran. I even kind of joked and was like, can we hire you? Because you could do parent trainings for us because you know so much about it. Let's talk about the changing of the vocabulary. And it turned out the vocabulary set was um, limited. That was one thing. The, the student was sequencing where they could actually hit two or make two or three word utterances. And I was like, man, this student with the limited number of vocabulary that you've provided, core vocabulary, and then doing the the amount of combinations the student is making, I think we can move to a more robust if the targeting is there. And the parent was like, yeah, I think he, I think she could target smaller cells, you know? It's like, then let's try it. Again, in the, the, the famous words of Bruce Baker, make the student prove to you that they, that they can't do it, you know? So we ended up leaving the meeting with the parent feeling like we have this new plan of action. We're still going to practice the storybooks, but we're going to work on core vocabulary. I am going to open up the communication device so we have more words uh, on the home screen, so we have less hits. Yes, there'll be some relearning of where the core vocabulary is because we have changed, you know, but ultimately this will provide more access to more words quicker. And so we all left like with this awesome plan of action. I love this. I love this story of, of transformation. You'll have to keep me posted on how this, this student progresses because there's nothing better than when you have that potential there and you're like, whoa, look, look what all they can do. If they just had the system set up in a way that really supported language. You know, you have all the pieces, Chris, like you have the the parent who's highly motivated and knowledgeable about AAC. You have the student who, you know, has the targeting, which is half the battle, I think, with eye tracking is like getting that targeting. It takes a lot of practice. And so the, you have this great team, you have this buzz of energy. So now it's like putting all the pieces together so that we can really have success. I'm really excited. And, you know, you kind of touched on some of the the problems with the situation um, the motor planning is a big one. And I, I, I come into this a lot with teams, teachers, ABA therapists who want to have these folders, these special folders on the device with all of the vocabulary they need for, you know, very specific contexts. And it's a balancing act. You can't just be like, no, all core, like we're not doing anything like that because you have to work with teams, right? You can't like come in with a hard no. So I, I typically will say, okay, I kind of set the foundation and say, so the reality is, you know, I see, you know, if I'm working with an OT, I see this ball photo in your OT folder, um, but it's also in this toys folder over here. And it's also, you know, in the PTs folder over here. So if I have a student who perhaps wants to play ball at home, like how do they know which one to go to? And so and if we took all three of those locations and streamlined it, it into one, think about how many more 
times a student has to practice that specific motor plan and they're more likely to be able to activate that. So if we're just putting like these folders with like every every area of a child's day is foldered out, it just doesn't generalize, right? The student gets confused and is like, well, I'm not an OT, so I don't know. This, this is a new situation with the word ball. And so I think that that's part of the problem. So I like to set that foundation just kind of explaining the rationale, right? And then I say, okay, so we want to try to make, you know, only one space for a word if we can. Now, there are certain special, you know, pictures we can take of that sensory ball that's, you know, you have that like, you know, to help a child specify. But like, I try to kind of set the foundation like that. And then sometimes I think they're like, it, it clicks for teams and they're like, oh, like that makes sense. But I think that it's really problematic because again, we're just limiting the, the amount of opportunities that a student has to practice a single motor plan. And those things matter. When you add up all the opportunities that a student has throughout their day, you know, we need a lot of practice with those motor plans to solidify them. Um, so if we're spreading it out across three folders, like, no, thank you. It's not going to be as efficient. It, it's funny you bring up those that example, because that is a sort of a question. The the teacher, who I said, like, is, is, is somewhat trained and has a little bit of skill, but is still very early in her journey learning about AAC. She sort of said, well, OK, I, I kind of like where we're headed here, but I'd still want the student to maybe like make choices. Let's say we're building a a snowman together. I want him to be able to say, I want uh, the hat or the scarf. And my comment back was, yes, me too. What if we changed the way we were asking it? So you could say, you know, where should we put the scarf? Where should we put the hat? You know, you're building some sort of thing together or there's a bunch of stuff on the table. Tell me about the one you want, you know, and they say the black one. Well, if that's probably the hat on a snowman, do you know what I mean? And or the red one or the um, whatever words they use to describe it. And we could teach it um, what words they would be based on the stuff there, you know, using that, that concept of descriptive teaching. And you could just see the teacher. She was like, Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I could just change how I'm asking or how the how I'm creating the scenario so that the student is using the words on their device to respond. It was like, yes, yes. And it's kind of interesting because I think what happens is that we approach vocabulary in the same way that we approach it with all students, with our kids with complex communication needs. But we forget that Kids with complex communication needs take longer off to learn words because they need to learn the motor plans for them. Sometimes it takes longer for them to understand the words and how to use them. And so I think there's this kind of idea about vocabulary where it's like, okay, I have a lesson on the solar system and here's all the vocabulary items that we need to practice and learn. But we forget that do we really need a student to learn the word Jupiter if they can't use the word on? So it's like, can we prioritize those core words that are super functional and highly relevant before we prioritize, you know, these fringe vocabulary words that like a child's not going to use, it's not going to move the needle for functional language. And I think that's kind of where it stems from, this idea of like vocabulary. I said the exact same thing to the teacher. I said, and uh, when it comes to the word scarf, 
how often do you think you use the word scarf in your life? How often do you think she's going to use the word scarf in her life? Now, that said, you know, we're presuming potential people. We're working toward the fact that she would use the word scarf. But is that something we want to target our instruction on? And then we brought up this. This was another outcome, right? Which I think you're going to love here. What if we taught her how to spell the word scarf? Yes, yes, we could teach this this girl how to spell words and get her access to her keyboard so that she could recognize the word from a list of word prediction and, you know, as she starts typing it out. Chris, our listeners couldn't see what I just did, but I was like, I literally looked up to the heavens and was like, amen, <laughs> because yes, that is one of my favorite strategies to do with fringe, like type them out. And I have students who are AAC users and they're putting words together into sentences. And guess what? They use their core boards and then they type the fringe because they use it so infrequently that they know how to spell it. And they just, it's easier for them to spell it than it is for them to find it on their device. And so I love that strategy because it's supporting literacy and it's also more efficient. I always think about like, what if you or I had some type of traumatic brain injury or a stroke or something where we lost our ability to communicate? How would we communicate with the world? And, you know, we'd probably use those core boards and then also use our keyboards. So I, I always think through that lens because I think it really guides the way that we're teaching kids how to use their devices. So there's two other aspects of this story that I think you're just going to love. So but I guess so I got to tell you. So one of them was said, okay, so it sounds like we're all in agreement that we're going to change this student and, and um, the, their communication system. We're going to not do a lot of customizations. There's places where we can add some fringe vocabulary that are important to your family, but mostly you're not going to be reprogramming everything, and we're going to use a system that has less hits, more words on the home page, right? Everyone agrees. And I said, now tell me about your private speech therapist. Do you have a private speech therapist? Because we're kind of making this this decision in a bubble and all of a sudden you know you're going to go to private speech therapy and they're going to be like i'm sorry what did you do why why did you change everything like we've got a plan here you know what are we doing and so it turned out that um they were between private speech therapists they they weren't currently using one and the the mom was like but if we were if we were using the the previous one I think she'd be all over this. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. You know, just want to make sure that we're on this together, you know, because imagine, I bet you this has happened to you, you know, you're working with a student and then one day, bam, new system, you know, or new design to the, to the old system. And you're like, what's going on? What's the plan? How come I wasn't involved in it? You know? Totally. It has happened to me. It doesn't happen to me that often. Cause I think that like, Whenever like someone starts talking about AAC at school, parents are like, let me check in with Rachel first. <laughs> so I think that like that doesn't have to be as often as it might if perhaps I was just, you know, a more generalist clinician um, in private practice. But I, I think it's important because we need to make these decisions together. And there's nothing worse than like when either a school team or a private team makes a unilateral decision and then like the other party finds out about it after the fact. There's no threat greater to collaboration than that. And so we really need to be cognizant of that, you know, when we're making decisions, especially big ones like, you know, changing a child's system. 
I would say an even a better scenario would have been if there was a private therapist, them being in that conversation while we were having it, you know, as opposed to, hey, we kind of made the decisions and now check with you. Are you cool with this? It'd be better if they were in that, that meeting with us. Like I said, they were between therapists, so it, it didn't come into play in this scenario. But that's how I would love to move forward, you know. There's one last little piece, though, I got to tell you about, Rachel, that I just think you're going to love. Tell me. So I said, so tell me about your family. You know, like in in the in the call, I knew there was siblings because they were running around in the background. Do you know what I mean? And so the mom explained the dynamics of the family and that they have like a shared reading time that they do where they all kind of get together and read a book. And it was just like, you can just imagine, just like when you said you like looked up to the heavens, I was like, oh, like here's a moment, right? Where we could get the other kids, the, 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 the siblings, and it just becomes now part of your family, but they got to be involved right now let's get them involved right now you know and the mom was already like, i know we're doing it you know like because like i said this was not a novice mom she's like i know you know we're trying to build them in and reading time is a great place and it's like this is this is how we could do it you know and so it was really exciting uh, i love the sibling piece it's such a it's such a game changer honestly when you can get siblings on board they oftentimes too are like very eager they have so much energy and are willing to help so i love pulling siblings in into the mix and teaching them how they can support communication. I have this um, awesome resource on my website and one of the sheets is called a core word tracker for siblings. And so it's like this kind of kid-friendly tracking sheet and I'll oftentimes send it to families and say, you know, I'll, I'll have them hop on now via Zoom. And I'll say, okay, how many times do you think you can model the word open this week? And so we'll set like a challenge and then they're responsible for tracking how many times they modeled it or which words they model, depending on kind of the child and the, the goals that we're targeting. But it's such a fun way for kids to get involved and it really does move the needle. Kids learn better from other kids. That's the reality. So like, how can we get other kids in the family teaching kids how to use their devices um so that's a whole family event too it's not just the the parent you know and the teachers it's also it's everybody right aac is for all so rachel thank you for allowing me to share that with you i knew this would be stuff that i think one the listeners would enjoy but i particularly wanted to tell you because i knew how excited you'd be uh, about it yeah, I was excited and you guys can't see my face, but I've been smiling and nodding this entire time really aggressively. So I appreciate the story, Chris. I love hearing these kind of, you know, stories unfold and the kids whose lives are changing because of the work that we're doing collectively as a group um, within these teams that we're working on. So it's really exciting for me to hear all these fun facts. So speaking of stories, that's what this is. This is part two of our session that we did pre-pandemic. This was a while ago, but we recorded it and never got it out. So this is part two of our session on digital storytelling. Black women and girls of color are underrepresented in professions related to science, technology, engineering, and math, also known as STEM for short. Imagine the impact changing this fact could have not only on the lives of black women and girls of color, but on the world as a whole. Young and preteen girls of color need more experiences and opportunities to learn technology and computer programming skills that can fuel curiosity, ingenuity, and passion. With the proper guidance, inspiration, and mentorship, black girls and girls of color can become leaders in fields related to STEM. 
Black Girls Code is an organization that has a singular mission. It aims to introduce programming and technology to a new generation of coders, coders who will become builders of innovative technologies and of their own futures. Go to blackgirlscode.com to learn more about how you can volunteer or donate to support their mission. Black Girls Code is working to increase the number of women of color in the digital space by empowering girls of color ages 7 to 17 to become innovators in STEM fields, leaders in their communities, and builders of their own futures through exposure to computer science and technology. They are working to provide African-American youth with the skills to occupy jobs related to computing and to train 1 million girls by 2040. Check out their website at blackgirlscode.com or follow them on Twitter at blackgirlscode to learn about upcoming events, volunteer opportunities, apparel, and so much more. With your help, Black Girls Code will reach their goal and will see millions of young women of color achieve their dreams and change the world for the better. You can make a difference by going to blackgirlscode.com today. Okay, so let's talk about some of the, the, the tools that we use. So when we say digital storybook, there's a lot of apps that can just help you create a story. Um, so Chris, should I show some of these? Yes, but story? Rachel, before you do that, can we talk about one thing just real quick before we get into the tools? Totally. One, last, one last little thing while you're pulling that up. Um, when you're thinking about digital storytelling, and we, uh, we, we should really define that in some way, mm -hmm. and we should just explain that it's, it's storytelling with digital tools. So storytelling is something we've done and we all know how to do. We all tell stories all, all day long. We all read stories. We all watch TV shows that are all about stories. So this is just storytelling in a digital way. And storytelling is, has not changed. There is always these elements. There's always characters. There's always a setting. There's always some sort of conflict. I mean, not always. You can read a book that's just like, look at all these different types of airplanes. You know, you can totally do that. But it's not really telling a story if there's not some sort of conflict, you know. Um, and then there's some sort of plot, you know. Uh, I, I, you're going to see a lot of stuff about to come up that helps people uh, help you create tools that are put settings. And now you have stuff to talk about what's in the background. Where are we? Uh, what's there? Um, and then... Uh, and what's that, what's that experience like because of the setting? The characters have different attributes, you know, uh, that are all things that you can talk about using core vocabulary. And, and so I just wanted to, we wanted to take a minute to explain what digital storytelling was and just let you know that all of the apps that we're about to show and these tools we're about to show should tie back to one of these elements or more than one of these elements, the character, the setting, the conflict, the plot, and everything else you learned back when you were in sixth grade learning about those things when you were in school. Yeah, and oftentimes what I'll do, you know, depending on the, the level of the child that I'm working with as far as their literacy and their communication level, um, I'll do a lot of pre-story brainstorming because, you know, say you know, we ask a child, like, tell me a story. It's oftentimes hard. And so we'll go through, you know, where are we going to be? What's the setting? Who's going to be in the story, the characters? What's the problem going to be? If that's the problem, then what do you think the solution could be? 
and I'll even get as specific as giving, um, if say we're making a story about the zoo, um, you know, we talk about the setting and the different animals. And then I, I brainstorm different verbs. What are some actions that happen at the zoo? You know, maybe we'll see animals at the zoo. Uh, maybe the animals will eat. Um, using, uh, also doing the same thing with adjectives, stripes for the tigers. And thinking through all these things helps prepare a student to then actually create a story. Um, so that's something that I utilize a lot. I have a resource, but I don't know where it is on my computer. I thought I had it near my desk so I could show you guys. But um, anyway, it's really important to kind of prep kids for that. All right, so what tool are we looking at first here, Rachel? What are you pulling I, up? I was thinking of showing my story. Okay. But, okay, I think I need to, um, hold on one second. I need to find, here it is. Okay. Can you see this? Yes, we can. Okay, perfect. I mean, I can. Can everyone else in the chat? <laughs> <laughs> so my story is a very simple app, but it allows you to create stories. You can import pictures. This is a Halloween story actually that I made last year. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's almost Halloween. <laughs> so I can show this and it's relevant. Um, but you can see, you can do lots of different stickers. Um, we can we can use describing words to describe what, what a child wants. For example, dog. Which dog do you want? There's, you know, there's 10 dogs here. Do you want the one that has black spots? Do you want the one that's short? Do you want the one that's black and white? Um, and then of course you can just put this on, you can move it around. Um, you can put it down here. I also love this because you can actually search. So it's a literacy opportunity, right? So say, you know, you're working on uh, spelling the word dog we can sound it out. I can say, oh, let's try and find the dogs. D and then I go to D and, you know, we start working on that literacy piece all while we're creating a story. Um, you can obviously do dialogue, which is really nice. And the other cool thing is you can record down here. So you can see it says it's recording. And I've actually done this with children with speech generating devices. Um, you know, it will, it will record my, my voice. It will record a speech generating device. Um, and then I hit just hit stop. And then I can play it. I'm not going to play it because it was just me talking. Um, but it's a really great tool to help facilitate storytelling. And you can also import pictures. So you can customize it. You can see there's a picture of a kid and I put sunglasses on him. Um, so you can be super silly. You can have dialogue. Um, there's lots of different things that you can do with that. Wait a second, Rachel, I have a question. Yes, Something, so, Something's not making sense to me. If, if the kid on their iPad has this app up, then how do they have their communication app up? at the same time. How can they be talking about it if, if they're using my story? You're making the case for a dedicated device, Chris. <laughs> so having a separate iPad dedicated solely to communication is really important. I know it's not always feasible for children, but you know all the strategies that we're talking about today how is a child supposed to be in an app making a story and also talking about it? Um, so that was a really good. <laughs> Kelly O says the dedicated device fight is real. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, that's why we wanted to point it out. All right, so what are we showing next? So there are a couple other tools on, we're not gonna click on every link on the slideshow. Uh, Rachel, if you'll bring the slide deck back up. Yeah. Um, so 
the idea here is that you'd have some ideas and that you could click on those other links and explore those. Or again, we maybe would, in a future podcast episode, we will go back and explore some more of these tools and describe them. Um, so I'm going to take control of the screen right now. Let's see how this goes. Right? So uh, Rachel's going to, I'm going to take it over from you. I'm going to share my screen, right? And so you should be seeing my screen now. Yeah? Yep. Yep. And so I'm going to show a tool called Hero Forge. And I bet you this is one you have not seen before, right? So this is me with my uh, Dungeons and Dragons nerdiness uh, that we that we like in our house. But we, we I showed this at a conference many years ago, and I know there's other speech therapists that are like, oh my gosh, yes, this is so engaging for my kids. So what it is is you, uh, Hero Forge, you can see I don't even have to log in. I can just, uh, when, I, when I just go to heroforge.com, you get this kind of 3D character, right? And you can choose to, that's uh, um, male or female or whatever. And then uh, you can choose different things, like you can change the face or different attributes. You can change the expression like, hey, I'm happy or I'm sad, you know. Um, you can put different sorts of ears on them, like let's say it's an elf, right? And there's big ears like that. And so you are you are creating this character together. Again, we're talking about digital storytelling. Here we go. We're talking about creating a character together and outfitting this character with what their body looks like, with what their with different outfits they could wear. Um, I don't know, Rachel. What should I do? How about some sort of like wizard outfit? You know, like, Ooh, like yeah. Yeah, like something like uh, a Robin Hood sort of thing, right? And so you can put that on, right? Uh, and again, you can kind of move this around so you can see it from different angles. You can give them um, different uh, like mounts, right? Do you want him on a horse? There, now he's riding a horse, you know, and you can move him around. Uh, and then what's what? once you create your character and you can create all these different types of characters and have all sorts of different gear and different poses. Um, here, let me take him off that horse and just have a different pose like like that now there see how he's like regal in the sky but the idea being that he could um then take this picture and you can take a screenshot of it and once you take a screenshot you can download it and now you can put that into what we call app smashing you can take this and you can plop it into my story you can plop it into book creator you can plop it into other different tools we're going to show you here. Uh, you could print it out and you could take these. So there's this tool called uh, um, colored pencils and crayons. I don't know if you heard of crayons, but you could print them out and you can actually color in the, the, this, this, this character that the student created. And the, the character can then, you know, take on a life of its own, you know. Uh, and it's super fun because there's so much vocabulary that goes along with creating the character. But then now you're putting that character into the plot of a story, into a setting of a story. And you can actually build a story together with that character. Um, so this is just one particular uh, avatar creator or character generator. But uh, going back to the slide deck for a second, I'm going to show you that there are actually quite a few um, in just in different genres. So um, on the slide deck, you'll see that there's one that is for Peanuts characters. And so that's supposed to be me. I've peanutized myself, right? Um, that's, but you can create your own Peanut character using this peanutizeme.com website. Um, and then all these other ones, look, there's a Star Wars one, there's a Marvel one, if your kids are into that. There's, and then there's some generic ones, and there's Bitmoji, that's how we made those. Kids get into making their characters, even up for themselves, or of just fictional characters uh, that, that they want to create.
And also kids have like very specific like interests as far as what they want. So it's a perfect opportunity to say different or not that one or that one or this one. Um, I feel like my kids have very specific ideas about what they want. <laughs> and so it's perfect because it's opportunity, right? You kind of, you can sabotage. You can, if you know they want the purple, you know, costume, you say, you give them green <laughs> and wait. Uh, yeah. And, and things they like and don't like, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like that. I don't like that. And then commenting on each other's, this is not necessarily a one-on-one -on -one sort of uh, activity. And, and then once you have that character, imagine like, posting it someplace where other people can can comment on it and, and have conversations about that character. And then once the character is in a story, oh my goodness, now we can read each other's stories, right? So lots of, lots of vocabulary there just from creating different characters. Um, one thing I like to note, just a, a quick difference here between like the Star Wars and Marvel ones and these generic ones is that Sometimes it's a little easier for students to describe or create a character that they already know, right? If we're making the Hulk, you know, well, the Hulk is green, he's big, he's strong, he's angry, right? There are words there rather than create this generic hero that I don't even know what is this, you know, that can be a little bit more nebulous. And it's just easy to recognize, okay, we're going to start with characters you know and build a character you know. Let's put funny costumes on the Hulk, you know. Let's put, let's put the Spider-Man into, uh, into a city, you know. Now we have characters and we know those characters. We can do something with them. It might be a little bit easier for some students. Okay, so we're talking about character generators, but now we take those characters and we actually put them uh, into stories. So uh, comic strips are maybe one of the most underutilized technologies and tools when it comes to digital storytelling and when it comes to really therapy and working with AAC in general. So one that I like to really show is Storyboard That. So I'm gonna pop out a full screen here and I'm gonna show, I think this is, there it is, here's Storyboard That. Um, so this is a storyboard that uh, my son made back in the day where he had read a book and then he was telling back about the book. And so you can see that he just created different characters he dragged them onto panels and the panels, uh, he put the background images to talk about the setting, right? So this first setting is obviously in the wilderness or the woods. Um, and then over here also in the woods, but there's a house in the background. Over here, they're out in a field and, and he's retelling a story that he read, but you can easily see how this could be a tool that you could use to generate your own stories as well. Uh, just dragging characters around uh, if you go over here, you can see all the different characters you can, and you can just drag them down onto a, onto a palette. And it's how you make your characters. It's how you find the different background images. There's all these different tools here that you can find. Like if I go to scenes here, look at all the different background images you can see to talk about, this is what the settings are. So again, could spend a lot of time showing you all the bells and whistles. I think it's more fun to go and play with it yourself, you know? Um, and most of what we're showing here today are, are free apps and free tools. This is a free web-based tool uh, that have premium features. You can go always go buy extra stuff, but everything I'm showing you, this, this was all we made for free. And the last one, and I'm going to turn it back over to Rachel, is uh, taking actual digital images like... Um, like photos and manipulating those photos. And so there's lots of different tools here that allow you to do that. Um, 
pick monkey is maybe one of my favorites splash up is another one where you take a digital image and like this is a picture of pick monkey over here where you can uh, drag different things on top of images to manipulate them like put sunglasses on a character things like that but the one i wanted to show you was thing link and so i think is this thing link yes okay so give me a second while i zoom out here this is an image that i've uploaded to thing link right i doing a presentation on core vocabulary and aided language stimulation and motor access. And you'll notice when I hover over these images, little pop-up things have come up. And let me just zoom in on those. You'll see, oh, it looks like a little play symbol. And when I click on those, it'll take me to whatever that hyperlink is. If you notice that this one over the aided language stimulation, it takes me to a video on aided language stimulation. And so in this way, you can create a story around one single image, right? Uh, you can take uh, one image, put it someplace, and then have all these hyperlinks that go off of that one image. So if it's a person's face or a brain or it's a, uh, a model of something, uh, if it's a collage of something, you could have kids less jumping around from screen to screen. Okay, so that's image generation. Like I said, lots of other links here, lots of other tools to show. Maybe we'll go back and show those on the podcast at some point or talk about them on the podcast. All right, Rachel, I'm going to let you talk about animated shorts. Ready for that? Yes. All right, I'm going to stop sharing. Okay, let's talk about animated shorts. I love them. And here's why. Because they're very short, as the name would suggest and they're super motivating for kids. It's essentially like watching a movie during a speech therapy session. Um, so I'm gonna pull up my, okay, they're essentially cartoons without words. Um, and so some of them have words actually, full disclosure, but again, they're highly motivating. They're great for teaching core words. So if they do have dialogue, sometimes I'll mute them and I'll just model on the device um, as I'm, we're watching. We'll of course pause, we'll rewind, we'll rewatch. Um, what I wanted to show you guys though, were two things. Um, let's see, one, who has ever heard of Edpuzzle? Tell me in the comments if you guys have heard of Edpuzzle. What's going on here? There's a bunch of no's coming up in that chat. All right, Rachel. I'm excited about it. Okay, so first of all, if you go to our slides, I have an entire playlist that I've dedicated to animated shorts that I use during therapy. So you have access to all of the ones that I use all the time. Um, Edpuzzle is so great because you can search for any YouTube video and it allows you to add prompts. So you see here's a fo fox and a mouse is a, um, a video. If I hit play, I start playing the video. Um, and what's nice is that you can add questions. So the way that I use this, and let me see if I can just fast forward a little bit to one of the first questions. So you can see we're watching this animated short and then it stops it pauses naturally and it asks a question and you can customize this. You can ask any question it is. So it says, check all that would be a good reference point to show the mouse in, in, in this motion. Um, so you can use this for older students who are working on inferencing and social pragmatic things. Um, you can use this for younger students. Um, the way that I love using this is to send to families for carryover practice. So I, I'll send a video and I'll stop it and I'll say, you know, 
model on. <laughs> and so it's a way to kind of guide uh, families to practice these things at home. Um, and of course, you can also do comprehension questions. You can add verbal prompts. You know, what's going to happen next? You could add that so parents can, you know, follow along. But Edpuzzle is amazing because you can completely customize it. What's also nice is that it's user-generated content. So you can see Melissa Dion, <laughs> she has this already set up for me. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll look up a video that I want to show and I'll go through and say like, oh, you know, it looks like she's already done the legwork for me. I'm just going to use this. And you can, of course, you can see down here, you can skip if the question's not relevant. Um, you can rewatch, go back to, you know, the last point, this last stopping point and rewatch. Um, so it's just a really great tool to start customizing the animated shorts um, and that experience. Let's see. We're running out of time, Chris. Shocker. <laughs> well, we knew we would. That's why we put the disclaimer at the top and 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 we talked about it. Uh, the next thing we want to share, right? Sorry. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. The next you you started talking about videos there, Rachel. And so just as a quick segue, um, kids watch videos and oftentimes uh, videos are meant to, are breaks for, for a lot of students. Oh, okay, I've earned my, my time to go watch a video for break. Is that true? Are you in classroom chat people, people participating? Have you found that to be true that videos are used as breaks frequently? So one of the things we talk about there is, well, if they're gonna watch a video for a break, and yes, maybe they have certain ones they, they, they like, what if they watch videos on core vocabulary? Uh, what if they watch videos about the stories that we're talking about, right? What if we try to introduce them? They might really like those. So um, two teachers that we know that we've had on the podcast, uh, uh, they created this video channel called Wingworks, where they have their students making videos telling stories using core vocabulary to teach about core vocabulary. Uh, making videos is digital storytelling, right? And there's level one is just having your kids go watch these videos. Level two is, hey, that's a classroom that made, that made those videos. Do you think we could make videos? And then making those videos together as, as, as in your classroom. And that's, again, uh, a, a great way to make these videos is to start off with maybe just drawing little pictures about well, what we want the videos to look like and have little stick figures about what the, what the characters would do in the, in the story. And then you go and actually film that video. And they don't have to be super long. They can be minute, two minute, but we need um, I'm so glad other people have, have come across Nicole and Angela and they've seen these uh, videos, but we need even more of them. If you went and did a Google search for core vocabulary videos or a YouTube search for core vocabulary videos, you're going to get a lot of like Rachel and me and Lauren Enders talking about core vocabulary as opposed to kids actually you know, videos of kids using core vocabulary uh, or teaching other kids about core vocabulary. So I feel like, yes, Sarah, authentic learning experience for peers. Exactly. Let's make videos together. Let's have our kids who are uh, our non-disabled peers or even our disabled peers making videos for our friends that need to learn about core vocabulary. And this is a perfect companion to word of the week. So if you are doing a core word of the week, you know, incorporate into your lesson a video 
right? We're going to do a 30 second video um, and showing all the different ways that in the classroom we use the word go because when you make it personally relevant, um, it's more likely to generalize, right? So, you know, of course, these videos are, are already done for us, so it's easy. Um, but I would encourage everybody to, you know, make a commitment. You know, maybe I do one a month or every week we do one. Um, but I think it's a really good idea to start personalizing them, um, of course, with permission, <laughs> um, because it's really exciting for kids to see. And we know from research the, you know, how important and successful video modeling can be. So Rachel, is it fair to say that it's the top of the hour and we're going to turn it over to questions here for the last few minutes. We knew there were tools that we weren't going to get to. We got to talk about augmented reality and virtual reality and podcasting and all those things that, uh, that uh, are still yet to be talked about. But we'll do that at a future time on our podcast uh, for you to come back and listen to us if you'd care to come back and join us. But right now we're going to open it to questions. Does that sound about right? Yep. I'm excited about it. All right, let's see here. Were there any questions that we didn't answer during the, the course of the webinar? Because if there are and we miss them, can you ask them again <laughs> so we could see them? Because it, it was kind of hard to check out the, the chat while we were talking. Aw, someone said they love our podcast, Chris. Yes, thank you for saying that. We appreciate it. Are there any tools that we, when we were looking at character generators or avatar generators or uh, any of the different tools we looked at that you thought, oh, here's one that I really like, I'd like to share. You, could, you should feel free to put those sorts of tools in the chat to share with each other. All right, I'm not right. seeing a lot of questions. No questions, guys? Well, maybe, how about this? Right, here we go, here, wait, here we go. <laughs> there was a question asked of Chris about printing out the avatar cartoon, uh, car comic strip materials. Is that possible with some of those materials? So yes, absolutely. Most of the things uh, you can take a screen grab of and now you'll have an image and then you can take that image and you can just print. Some of the tools have a print button uh, that can be printed PDF and then print out. I, I, um, a question that I'd ask back though, Jay Russell, would be why do you need to, why do you want it printed? You know, I always ask that when people ask me about printing is because uh, maybe there's a very good reason for it, but if we can save on the ink and we can um, send it digitally around, I feel like that's the world that we're living in more. That's not to say that we shouldn't print or there shouldn't, you know, but I, I just don't want things to be printed to hung up on the wall that nobody gets to see. If we're using it for an instructional tool and we're talking about it, yes. If you're sending it home to a parent that doesn't have access to a digital thing, yes, you know, all good reasons to print. Kid really needs something tactile to hold in their hands and feel it and smell the ink or whatever whatever and turn, you know, kinesthetically turn the pages, all good reasons to print. Okay, so there's a few more questions. Um, would you use the same tool strategies with kids who have typical receptive language but poor expressive language due to severe apraxia? Yes, even more so, I feel like, um, you know, because a lot of times uh, receptive language, if it's if we're teaching receptive and expressive at the same time, you know, we're not able to go as quickly, but for children who are just, you know, severely limited by apraxia of speech, yes, I mean, they're going to be super engaged and, you know, lots of opportunities to express, um, you know, even in more detail about descriptors and you can kind of get into more nuanced things, um, whereas if a child has receptive language delay, you kind of have to obviously address that when you're working with them as well. 
I, I, I'm seeing that Sarah, I just want to comment on this. Sarah is saying that she says, I found parents love to receive digital media. I agree, actually. So I love being able to send. So my story, for example, you can export that and it, um, and you can have a, a student who recording their voice or recording their AAC system, and then it exports as a video. So you can watch the story and then you can, you know, show what you did in therapy that day. If you're not able to talk, you know, every, after every session with a parent, which is, you know, unfortunately harder the, than it, it should be a lot of times, but um, sending that video, here's what we did today, practice this at home, you know? And so it's just, it's super great to just be able to send a quick email um, digitally. Also, Rachel, I think that is super important because, because it shows evidence of growth, meaning here's what we did and here's what the student has done or here's what they've produced. Um, and it shows this, this snippet of time. And when you fast forward to, you know, right now we're in, in, uh, in September, but fast forward to May and all this growth, is, growth has happened. But oftentimes parents can't see that growth because they're with their kid all the time. You know, uh, we're with the kids all the time. It's sort of like uh, when, when your aunt comes to visit and she's like, oh my gosh, she's grown so much. Yeah, you didn't really notice that growth because it was happening so slowly. And these snippets in time, so, these digital elements in these digital stories you can use and compare and go oh my gosh look where they were and look where they are you know Rachel there was a quite one last question there about Edpuzzle and how people access the Edpuzzle videos did you see um no I didn't see it but so if you go on that link in the uh, presentation it will link to my uh, all of the animated shorts playlists and um, Edpuzzle, I just search um, from that animated shorts list. I'll just search in Edpuzzle, see if it's already been done and then go from there or create something on my own. So Renee asked, what platform do you use? Oh, go ahead, Rachel. I, see I, I have to answer Renee's question because um, it's like a game changer. You okay. have to listen. So I use Loom. This is the problem. Sending huge video files is really challenging. Go to loom.com. It's a free way to, you can screen record. Um, you can do either your screen yourself or your screen and yourself. Um, and then as soon as it's done recording, it copies a link and you can just put it into an email. Um, you can password protect it and you get a hundred free looms. And so I use it all the time in so many different ways in my practice. Renee, I'm going to jump here and, and say many school districts have Google domains so that the files can be kept secure and you're just sharing through Google, uh, Google Drive to a, to a parent's Google uh, account. And then that way it's kind of like nobody else can see it. It's kind of a secure way. So that's another way uh, that people might be familiar with, with already sharing stuff through Google. Guys, we ran out of time, but you're going to have to come listen to the podcast. <laughs> we'll finish. We have so much more to say. That's the, that's the crazy thing. <laughs> we hope you enjoy the rest of the week here at the uh, Exceptional Ed Network. Right, Mailing? Yes, I love when I start talking and I, uh, and I haven't stopped. Um, I haven't stopped muting. Oh, what? Look at this. Oh, my God. Is that an avatar for Chris? Wow, I love that we, we put it into practice, Mailing. <laughs> I love you guys. I love these presentations. And I had to run over because I, I felt bad that Rachel didn't wasn't peanutized. So <laughs> I'm a peanut now. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. It's just been another amazing presentation by Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Is that our celebrity name now? 
Yeah, it's not good. <laughs>